It's all right now. All right, now I'm going. All right now. This sounds. This sounds really gross in the microphone. What is that? <laughs> I don't. I don't have the the camera up, and I don't. Frankly, don't think I want to. It's a massive jug of coconut water. Uh. <laughs> that sounds so fucking gross. Ugh. That's Ugh. That, my friends, is how you become an audio engineer. You find things that make perverted noises, and then before you know it, you're on a Timbaland album, um, sampling... Uh, the sound of your coconut water as if it's the sound of a wet pussy. A wet-ass pussy. Uh, my, uh, my favorite story about a production is, and I may have told this on the show, but it just seems pertinent. But, you know, Timbaland did the beat for Genuine's Pony, a classic record. Classic. You know. And you know how he did it? I do know. They were doing a... Why don't you tell us? Why don't you tell us? They were doing a recording session, and Timbaland got, they all got hungry. I guess Timbaland got hungry and decided he wanted the Grand Slam breakfast from Denny's. So about three in the morning, Timbaland, Magoo, Missy Elliott, Genuine, all of them go out to Denny's to get the Grand Slam breakfast. And uh, when they got back to the studio, Timbaland was gassy. Yeah. And so, you know, you hear that, blah, 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 blah. That's Timbaland burping into a vocoder and looping it. So this really sexy song is just Timbaland like belching fucking Denny's Grand Slam breakfast. <laughs> Probably the only man to make millions off of having gas. Yeah. He's got that gas. He's cooking with that gas. Yeah, I Quite love literally. that story. Um, all right, so getting started here. I'm recording. Um, we probably don't need to do a clap track since uh, it's just me and you. Um, but make sure your headphones are turned down, if you could. They're turned way down. Okay. <laughs> um, I can barely hear anything. All right. I, I got something for you, man. I got I got something to throw at you <clears throat> to right. start this week's show off with. How about this? Whitesburg Review of Books. You want to uh, do the Whitesburg Review of Books? The, Whites, the Whitesburg Review of Books. And uh, it's our publication bi-weekly publication we will be covering such topics as um the local crank in your community's uh local history um book about the time someone was lynched in the 1920s but it wasn't racism we will okay. be cut we will be covering um your other local cranks murder mystery every small town community has a middle-aged balding grumpy guy who is like a failed he's what we would be if we had not got a podcast you know what i mean like it's what this guy is yeah right we would be this person uh, a guy who's got decent writing chops but never made it as a writer or uh mm -hmm. any kind of media person right. and so like in their 50s they're just like writing self-published murder mysteries <laughs> oh my god you know what i mean yeah. like decapitation at the at the pounding mill or what stuff like that <laughs> i feel like this is subtweeting a certain writer for our local paper that tried to make a, a very innocuous article into uh in cold blood by truman capote <laughs> 
It could be. I mean, look, all good fiction is based on real life people. So maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Maybe Man, there's his- nothing. There's nothing I hate worse than dreams unfulfilled. <laughs> it's like it's it's second only to secondhand embarrassment in terms of how much I hate it for somebody else. Like I want everybody to achieve their dreams. It's it's honestly what haunts the left, the American political left, the Soviet Union, a dream unfulfilled. Yeah. <laughs> That's true, yeah, and, and we've not let it go. We've adopted all their aesthetics. We, you know, bicker back and forth about who's good, who's not, who's a mass murderer, who's not, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Now, this is, dream baby dream. This is why the only way that, like, the codex um, to understanding our current moment, the only way to understand it is um, through the late Middle Ages. Yeah. Uh, you've been you've been hanging out in the late Middle Ages a lot, I've noticed. I have been, yeah. Yeah. I've been reading Umbert, Umberto. Uh-oh. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. So you must be talking about uh, Umberto Eco. Umberto Eco. I've been reading his The Name of the Rose, which the politics of it are kind of whatever. It's a very postmodern novel. Yeah. Uh, the message of it is essentially... You'll never be able to discover the truth. The truth will always be elusive. All you can do is study the world. You can never really put your foot into it. The reason why is because it's told um, basically from the perspective of this Franciscan monk who was an inquisitor who has like an identity crisis because he realizes that the people he's supposed to be, like the heretics that he's supposed to be burning at the stake basically got their ideas from St. Francis and these holy people, like these people who like started off with these holy ideas and they just carried the ideas to their logical conclusion. So like they like the heretics wanted to bring heaven on earth essentially and what they meant by that was an egalitarian society with gender equality, no hierarchy, the abolition of feudalism but they had to kill people to do it. They had to t- basically had to implement a, a terror. So basically, uh, the online left existed in the Italian Middle Ages. <laughs> More or less, yes, yeah. yeah. I mean, really, it's it's weird to see how that uh, just mirrors <laughs> where we're at today. Well, the context for it, I was telling you this the other day, the context for it was that at this time, like a major influential text for... Um, the mendicant orders of the late Middle Ages was this guy Joaquin of Joaquim of Fiore, who had a theory of history, much like Marx. He he thought that there was like a, a age of Christ, an age of the Church, and then like an age of the Messiah, and that like you know the Messiah would be coming back, and everybody thought it was going to be around the turn of the last millennium. The year 1000, for those of you who don't know what Not it was. Not two. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the last time we had a Y2K. The Y2K scare then was... Oh, 1KY. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> 1-2K. 1-2K. Right? They're like, Jesus is coming back. Actually, it's the millennium. It's his birthday. A thousand years. Hey, let me tell you something. A thousand years later, a lot of people still clung to that. So, hugely influential. The shadow of 1-2K loomed large. Yeah. I know. What's even more influential when you really think about it, what's even more interesting is like, so I turn 33 next month, um, 
didn't Jesus die at 33? Wasn't that the age, or is it 32? It, let me go ahead and tell you, my friend. You'll spend that whole year thinking it's your time, too, in any time. <laughs> and you may tell you why. And then at the end of it, when you don't die, you realize how much of a narcissist you truly are, that you thought that like your year 33 had some sort of cosmic importance. Well, here's what's interesting. I've done nothing... It's interesting that a guy who didn't even get started with his political spiritual theological aspirations didn't even get started until his 30 till his third till age 30 or so did enough in those three years to create a movement that lasted 2,000 years never underestimate the uh the power of your own reach my friend that's true that's true it's true i mean we um yeah i mean he probably was just poking around just you know I imagine Jesus might have been like the Jim Morrison of his day. Kind of just like, you know, a little bit of a poser, but like was like just walking around the desert being like this, like the deep guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. You know the deep guy? Uh, the deep, definitely. I am that guy. Yeah. Well, In this podcast, guy. that's my character. Well, you're not really the deep guy, though. Think about it. The deep guy is like a guy usually grows his hair long. He's not really interesting at all, but he like plays this tortured poet type to like basically just get girls in bed. Right, right. You know what I mean? Except Jesus probably wasn't interested in that so much. I think he's probably, you know, I don't know. I don't know, he's man. Probably just, he'd probably just like running with the fellas, you know? Well, an interesting part of this time period that I was just talking about is like one of the big debates um, <clears throat> was whether Jesus and the disciples owned property, whether they owned private property or not. Yeah. It was hugely controversial because if he didn't, then it meant that the Franciscans and all these other sort of like heretic orders were correct and that the life of poverty and um, the pledge of poverty was the correct route. But on the other side was like the Pope, Pope John the 22nd and all this. And they thought that he did own property and that therefore the church could amass wealth. And they went so far as to even create statues. I shit you not. They created statues. At this time, the papacy had been moved to Avignon from Rome. Yeah. Um, and they even created statues. This is how shameless they were. They created statues of Jesus on the cross where one hand is outstretched, but the other hand is holding a purse at his belt. <laughs> like a coin purse. <laughs> so this, is, this was the big schism, and so all their icons had to reflect the schism. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly Interesting. right. Gosh damn, you'd be you would be mauled today if you did that. But honestly, like American Christianity's conception of Jesus is more in line with both hands on the purse. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean that that's absolutely true. <laughs> that's interesting though. Well, what's interesting what I find so interesting about it is that in many ways it mirrors the current situation in in this way. The heretics were defined in their heresy by a desire to transform the social order of the day. At that time, it was feudalism or whatever. Right. Now, what, like I just said, the reason why this was so controversial is because the heretics were simply, and you can look this up, there's a group, a sect called the Dulcinians, the Dulcinians, mm -hmm. led by this guy, Fra Dolcino. And uh, the, the sweet, the sweet boys, the sweet boys. <laughs> That's really what it what it translates to. 
The sweet boys, yes. The pseudo apostles and the sweet boys. <clears throat> Just like us. Um, but they all started in the same basic idea. And honestly, Marxism is the same. Uh, Marxism started... Basically, it has its roots, its seeds in the same enlightened liberal principles of the Enlightenment era. But what it, what, what it is, starting from the Jacobins and you know, following that thought all the way through to the end, it is this idea of radical democracy, of egalitarianism. It's taking the original ideas of radical democracy to their logical So let me ask you this, okay. So basically the story of Marxism, I mean, we could argue about the, Fran- you know, what we're talking about the Franciscans and everything, but basically our timeline as we know it today starts with like the French socialists. Yeah. Like, like Charles Foyer, like that crowd. Even earlier. I mean, really, if you wanted to start, you could start with Robespierre in the French Revolution. Uh, like the actual guys doing the, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, anyway. Well, I mean, that's the thing Marx, well, that's the thing that, you know, is always sort of uh, said about Marx. He took from the French Jacobin socialists the political program from the Germans, you know, the German sort of... The uh, metaphysical tradition, the Hegelians, exactly, yeah. That's right, exactly right. And then from the British, um, what did he take from the British? Uh <laughs> Engels? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. A, uh, a steely disposition. <laughs> Hemorrhoids and boils. Yeah, that's right. But anyways, you know, like, the heresies of the late Middle Ages also germinated in the same sort of, like, froth. You know what I mean? In the same sort of, like, uh... Primordial ooze. Primordial ooze, Right. And what happened over time is that Pope John the Twenty Second and and all of his corollaries, all the other status quo Christians, had to square the circle of why they were persecuting the heretics. And so, what that caused was a sort of like mental schism. And and I don't know if this book, and maybe somebody who's read it and is an expert on it, is bashing their head against the speaker listening to me ask this question and talk about it. I can't tell if Echo I'd is love in... to know who sits at the intersection of True Abilities and Umberto Echo, <laughs> but whoever that person is. Come on. I don't know if Echo is being prescriptive, if he's saying that you should adopt a postmodern view, or if he's saying that because of what happened at this time, that a postmodern-like disposition or analysis kind of grew out of it because what happens is like I said when you have a situation where people take something to its logical endpoint you have to there is like a psychic schism that occurs um, in the people that then have to stop it <clears throat> at that time it was the Pope and never but the Catholic Church now in our case it's the liberals right like they have stopped us the left from real, realizing any kind of our program, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, but have sort of like made us support them too at the same time. Right. <laughs> like brought us to heal, subjugated us, and also made us do what they want. That's exactly right. They've made an example out of us. They really have. We've spent four years just making fun of them, busting their balls at every turn. <laughs> And forgetting that actually still that they have a very specific role they play and a, a more proximity to the reins of power. And uh, 
yeah, they've uh, they've disciplined us. That's exactly right. <clears throat> That's all heresy is at the end of the day. It's just declamations. <laughs> just getting disciplined. Yeah, that's exactly like right. Like my buddy Zach's dad, Randall, when he caught me sticking my finger in his olive jar. <laughs> exactly. It's not a metaphor. I really was just eating olives with my hand out of his jar, and I didn't know it. That wasn't, that wasn't allowed. That, right. No, it's exactly like that. Um, but anyways, that'll be in this edition's, uh, this month's edition of the Whitesburg Review of Books. <laughs> uh, like and subscribe for your... Um, latest uh reviews written you'll you'll have reviews written by our most profound and premier social critic timmy kershaw uh (laughs) (laughs) writing reviews of uh four thousand word facebook posts Um, oh my god it'd be so good and anyways that's the literature we get around here we get murder mysteries we get local history and we get Facebook posts. <laughs> Man, uh, all of them equally valid in the field of litter of. <clears throat> excuse me, God. I think I'm choking so. over here. I think so. Anyways, um, welcome to the show, everybody. Nothing like starting a show off with uh, 15 minutes of Umberto Eco uh, analysis, exegesis. Um, I'm your host, uh, T-Ray, um, without the old TBT this week, unfortunately, without Auntie Bernice, um, she had to dip out at the last moment. She'll be on the Patreon this weekend, though. Don't ask why. Don't ask why. (laughs) Um, a lot of things to talk about this week, right, Tom? There's some news items, yeah. There's some news items to talk about this week. Um... So, uh, let's just get it out of the way. Um, let's just get it out of the way. Uh, Joe Biden finally announced his long-awaited VP pick. It will be... It's a shame it was two days after he died. (laughs) Um, yeah, he gets a posthumous VP pick, just like those students at, like, Boston University or whatever will get a posthumous... Um, degree? Oh, if they die of COVID while they're still enrolled? <laughs> Dude, that was the most macabre shit I've ever heard. I want to see if I can find this real quick, Tom. It was... Um... I'm going to ask you a question. You think... <laughs> oh, God, this is a horrible joke to make, but I'm just going to go ahead and make it because we're in the business of doing horrible jokes. But you think there's anybody out there like 2024 will be driving a, you know, like a obnoxiously large SUV with a proud student of a Boston U grad? <laughs> but... But their kid's actually dead. <laughs> yeah, it'll be like deceased class 2020. <laughs> yeah, and that is flanked by like the Eastern Kentucky like tribute, like <laughs> car decal. Right. Um, yeah, Boston University instates policy to issue degrees to students after death. No, it says students who die while attending Boston University will have the chance to obtain a posthumous degree starting this <laughs> We'll <fall>. have the chance. <laughs> what are they going to do from the great beyond to earn their, earn their baccalaureate degree? Oh, my fucking God. <clears throat> that, is, that is a hilarious sentence. Students who die while at Boston University will have the chance. 
amazing. <laughs> like their fate's in their own hands. <laughs> oh, my God. <clears throat> well, um, Biden similarly had the chance to pick his VP. And pick he did. He picked uh, former California, or wait, she's actually currently a senator. Yeah, sitting senator. Sitting sinister senator Kamala Harris. <laughs> um, Once described by her father as a pot-smoking joy seeker. I saw that, and people are passing that around as like it's a diss, but like, a pot jo- I'm a pot-smoking joy seeker, so. Well, what he was saying was that she was, uh, you know, spreading the uh, stereotype of the Jamaican who is like the pot-smoking joy seeker. <laughs> I see. That's what he took umbrage with. I see. I see. Um, she was the 27th District Attorney of San Francisco, 32nd Attorney General of California. The top cop. The top. She's called her called herself. Cop. That's exactly right. And there's a lot of things to say about this, but I think one of the funniest things about it is that it comes, I mean, like almost by a sort of like cosmic serendipity. It mm-hmm. landed on the exact same week that the Cardi B song, the Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion song, WAP, uh, came out. Um, so you get amazing tweets like, um, Kamala waking up this morning, certified veep seven days a week, wet ass pussy, oh. making the GOP weak. <laughs> Man, I could have, listen, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> In the annals of Twitter cringe, of which I've probably got plenty of entries myself. I'm not casting aspersions. That's in the conversation. (laughs) There's nothing I hate worse than when a pop culture moment sort of runs up against like a political moment. Mm -hmm. Like not like a good political moment. Like it makes sense for like, you know, protest songs and stuff like that. But I'm talking like a banal, like awful political moment like Biden and Harris joining forces. Well... Because the universe loves us, um, we don't get a lot of nice things these days, but we did get those two things colliding. And so what we get is that Kamala Harris's wet-ass pussy has the GOP absolutely shook. shook. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> shook. Oh, my God. You know... God damn it. God damn it. I wish I didn't see that. <laughs> Vlad the Impaler, known for impaling his enemies... Um, Genghis Khan, you know, known for raising villages. Kamala Harris will go down as striking fear and terror in her opponent's hearts because of her wet-ass pussy. Because of that drip drip. (laughs) Here's another one. I hope Kamala dances into the convention in formation with Beyonce, Rihanna, (laughs) Mary J, Janet, and Cardi B singing WAP. Grab it, can't touch this. (laughs) Oh my god, dude. Dude, I need somebody. Oh, my God. It's great. I don't know what you're talking about. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, I just have echoes of, of you know, like, we, we're both veterans of the war on coal, and we right. have dealt with our fair share of, like, corny activists. Mm-hmm. And I guess at different turns we're ourselves corny activists. But I can remember when Beyonce's formation came out and like the corniest people alive were like 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 leaving like the Facebook statuses that were like, Okay, ladies, now let's get in formation and it's like 
yeah, what are you talking about? Like you're like you're like trying to get these green jobs, you know? <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, now the funniest thing now is that if the song would have been titled anything else, I don't know if they would have slapped it on the the now active VP campaign. But um, just by a historical quirk, we now get that Kamala Harris's wet ass pussy is it is it it is what has the GOP running for the hills running. It's going to be the driving force behind <laughs> this, yes. And I think that's uh, great. Did you see the thing? Did you see the thing about her husband? I did not know. That was going around. Oh, Everybody's was it like, in Fort or was it um? Was that he? Was it that he's like our new favorite Jewish daddy? Yeah, he's like our 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 jaddy. I see. Or something they called it. Douglas Imhoff. Um, he's an entertainment litigator, and began his career at Pillsbury Winthrop's litigation group. He later moved to Bellin Rawlings and Bedal, a boutique firm, in the late 1990s. Um, That's when he got his first sample of that. Of that Kamala Wap. Harris and her husband had an yeah really have an estimated net worth of five point eight million dollars. Uh, pretty modest. Well, I know, <laughs> but like there's gonna be liberal commentators point out that they're basically poppers, right? Because of this. <clears throat> um, well, there were a few really good um, articles about this. So, first of all, um. I read a week ago that some Biden allies, this is in CNBC, some Biden allies are waging a shadow campaign to stop Kamala Harris from becoming vice president. Before we go into this, I just want to say, for the record, when this all started, I can't, I don't know what episode it is, but when the campaign first started last summer, I remember sitting in my living room, same spot I'm sitting in now, except you were here with me. When we could still, <laughs> when we could still share the same, we could air still space. spit in each other's mouths like we used to. <laughs> exactly. I remember telling you, I think the the candidate is going to be Kamala Harris. And um, my reasoning for that was that she's a lawyer. She's like good at like clapbacks. You know what I mean? She's good at like uh, roasting people on stage and having sort of like witticisms. Um. And she's kind of like, uh, I don't know. Basically, she's a lawyer. I think that was my exact thing, actually. She's a lawyer, and America loves lawyers. Libs love lawyers, right? Yeah. Well, obviously, she kind of shot herself in the foot because she's notoriously um, not very charismatic, really awkward, um, says things like, well, I smoked weed with Snoop Dogg and when I was in college, and <laughs> yeah, oh, she goes, oh yeah, I just listened to a couple of things you may have heard of, them, like Tupac, Snoop Dogg, <laughs> uh, and it's funny because like I don't NWA's first album wasn't even out by the time she graduated in college, much less those guys. Um, right. Well, I felt really dumb about that over the next few months, especially when she dropped out in December. I was like, well, I'm a fucking idiot. I don't know what I'm talking about. But it is entirely possible she could be the next president because even Biden himself has admitted that he's probably not long for this world. Has <laughs> <laughs> so, he, he alluded to his, his impending demise? I, well, it has, didn't he say something about that? Like, um, 
about how he might need to be sort of replaced or something? Or am I, have, I, have I just made that up in my mind? No, I think it was something to the effect. So basically, Biden wants to serve one term to get his name in the annals of history. He has no... He has no, like, plans to do anything. Like, this is about cementing his life, like, the cherry on top before he coasts out. That's what he wants. Right. Yeah. Well, um, so there are some people trying to stop her, some Biden allies. Um, These are the reasons. Some remain bitter about her attacks on Biden during primary debates last year, saying they bring into question her loyalty to the former vice president. Oh my god, I love this. I love this dude. This is like, there's like some like snooty fucking Joe or died limp dick that wears like Tom <laughs> shoes that's like has his arms crossed in these meetings when they're talking about Kamala Harris. Yep. Pissed off that she rightly at the time pointed out his record on busing and other stuff, but then just totally blew any integrity she had in the end by backstepping for her own, to facilitate her own upward mobility. Carry on. Others argue that she's too ambitious and that she will be solely focused on becoming president herself. I'd say it's a safe bet. <laughs> yeah. Um, she might even get antsy and fucking put a pillow over this guy's <laughs> face, honestly. <laughs> um, no, so, uh, so some people are not happy about it. But I'll tell you who is happy about it. Um, according to the New York Times... Wall Street and Silicon Valley. Um, Kamala Harris has Wall Street and Silicon Valley support. Um, let's see. Wall Street is happy about the signal it sends. Uh, Miss Harris was the moderate choice among left-leaning candidates who may have taken a tougher line on finance firms. That said, during her presidential primary campaign, Miss Harris said that she would pay for her health care plans with taxes on financial transactions. I would tax Wall Street stock trades at 0.2%, bond trades at 0.1%, and derivative transactions at 0.002%. Oh, my God. <laughs> Man, brutal. Um, Silicon Valley is happy about Drake it. Draconian, even. <laughs> uh, Silicon Valley likes it because apparently she got her start in the Bay Area and has been a fixture in fundraising circles there for de- decades. Tech executives appear excited by her place on the ticket and reassured by her circumspect stance on things like breaking up the biggest tech company. So, all safe there from the uh, two biggest sources of the elite's um, continued um, sustenance and and power. So, she's safe there. That's good. Um. But uh, but yeah, no. Like, what do you think, Tom? Is this like a is this a good pick for Mr. Biden? Was this the right route? Was this the right thing to do? <laughs> I think it's. I mean, I think it helps Biden. I mean, I think it shores up any sort of questions about his decidedly retrograde views on race in America. <laughs> but I mean, let's make no mistake about it. That shit doesn't end in the seventies or anything like that with busing or the sixties or anything. I mean, it's like. I mean, he was still you know doing the whole. Uh, what did he do with Charlemagne? Oh, was that him when he said, um... Oh, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black? You ain't black, Jack. Yeah, you ain't black, man. Come on, dude. Come on, Jack. And, uh, so I think it does that. I think it shores up the questions about his, uh, his, his being too comfortable. 
Right. Uh, and then then the other thing too is I think it's just a it's just a really innocuous pick. But also Kamala Harris checks all the sort of um, boxes that he needs her to check. I mean she he she checks the sort of woman of color thing and the cop thing. So it's like he's doing a both sidesism in a way. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. With this pick. So if the Democrats do anything, if they're good at anything, it's casting a wide net. <laughs> And getting nothing, casting nobody. And getting, yeah, has been yeah, getting a, nobody's been a more inefficient fisherman than the Democrats. A fisher of men than the Democrats. They have That's a massive true. net, but it's just riddled with holes. It's just riddled with holes, and yeah, that's true. Um, no, I think you're right. Um, I mean, I wasn't surprised in the slightest. Uh, I mean, who else was he going to go with? Right, I mean Barbara Lee is too far left. Elizabeth Warren is, I mean, she should have read the tea leaves a long time ago. <laughs> right, right. You know, but but Kamala Harris is a way to like it, like to really, I think, sort of. Um, he's like to to give the appearance of making a gesture that he's not really making because so many people think that like nominating a woman of color is like in itself something in itself like is like you know good for for some sort of egalitarian project which is like right you know it's entirely consistent with his past policies i mean yeah like the crime bill you know what i mean uh right it is entirely consistent with what he's made his career on and as a result you see all these really wacky articles and people saying like kamala kamala harris had to be tough on crime as a woman of color, she had to be tough on crime. It's just yeah, like, or, or otherwise she wouldn't have been made, been in the Senate. It's like, oh, if I'm in jail for 35 years for getting caught the half a gram of cocaine, but by God, Kamala Harris achieved her dream of being in the Senate. <laughs> right. I mean, and it's it's really strange. Like, I don't I don't know. I mean, I think it was it it was not surprising, um, but. Uh, I guess we'll see what happens, you know. Um, I don't know if it hurt, hurts his chances or helps his chances. I have no idea. I mean, I was thinking about this today. Like, we haven't really had to be pundits since March. The past three months have been us just basically floundering, like just scrambling for content hum- every humming week. some bars <laughs> until we get some actual content. <laughs> um, and then when actually co- and actual content does come, I'm just like, but oh shit! I guess I'm flat-footed, man. I forgot what to do with this. I forgot how to. I forgot how to do punditry. Right. Um. But it is. Uh, it is a development. We can say that for facts. <laughs> I mean, it. I mean, really and truly. I mean, I think. I mean, what more can you say about it? here? I mean, the deal is, it's like it. It. It shores up a lot of weaknesses that he has in the minds of the dumbest people. Right. While also doing fuck all for working people, right, or right. any sort of left project. So no, you're you're absolutely right. Um, well, um, so Kamala Harris is now the um, vice presidential nominee with Joe Biden, um, but there are other developments uh, going on in America that we need to cover. Some really good ones, in fact. Um, I'm speaking, of course, about, if I can pull this up here, 
I'm speaking, of course, about a primary down in Georgia, won by Marjorie Taylor Greene, a QAnon supporter. She won the House primary in um, Georgia, and Buddy... Did she beat John Ossoff to do it? She did not. She beat um, a guy named something Cowan, John Cowan, a neurosurgeon who is no less conservative or pro-Trump. The only difference is that she's a QAnon supporter, and this guy wasn't. <laughs> so the QAnon, so the QAnon person looked like the sane choice. They're more relatable choice. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, <clears throat> I've been really having a fun time, like sort of in my mind, trying to like game out, like, um, so you know, another couple of developments that happened this week is. Ilan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and AOC all won their primaries. Right. Um, I don't know if that means that they're going to win in November, but regardless, let's just say that they do. But I've been, the squad came through. I, yeah, I've been having a lot of fun trying to, like, game out, like, the squad trying to, like, bargain with the QAnon people on, like... Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> Squ- the squad versus QAnon. And it made me think of something... From my youth, when I was like 20 years old, maybe when I was like, maybe between the years 20 and 22, I I remember thinking, like, this is how, like, ass backwards my politics were. I remember thinking that, like, man, all all this country really needs to, like, get, get some real change is if, like, you know... Like, I'm fine with the two-party system. I'm fine with the two-party system, whatever. But I just want the two parties to be, like, socialists and libertarians. And then maybe, like, the place that they meet in the middle, like, then that that will be, like, somewhere where we can start getting some places. <laughs> oh, my God. And now <laughs> I kind of got my dream, but now it's, like, on absolutely it's... farcical terms. Dude. You're, you, 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 I could just imagine a young Terrence think oh, this is what this is like. This is what we're going to have to have, and you just never think it's going to come to pass, and then it comes to pass, and it looks like this. And it looks like this. I want to read to you the opening line of this New York Times article about this. Conspiracy, conspiracy theorists won a major victory on Tuesday. As a Republican supporter of the convoluted pro-Trump movement QAnon triumphed in her House primary runoff election in Georgia. Right off the bat, I have some problems with that. Conspiracy theorists won a major victory on Tuesday. Like, as if every Democrat running right now saying that, like, Putin, you know, and Moscow Mitch are running the fucking world together in their cabal is not also a conspiracy theorist. Let me tell you something. If you're out there chanting about Moscow Mitch, you are no more or less insane than QAnon person. Absolutely. <laughs> Honestly. <clears throat> I mean, it's a conspiracy theory at the end of the day. It is yeah. quite literally a conspiracy yeah. theory. It might be more plausible than, like, you know, what we hear about Comet Pizza or whatever. But that doesn't mean it's not completely conspiratorial and pulled out of thin air. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, um, she uh, will go on to be, you know, like a... Let's see, I wanted to read this here. 
Um, Georgia's 14th congressional district, one of the most Republican in the country, uh, is likely to vote red in November. Mrs. Miss Green is all but assured of getting the chance to put into action her talk of rooting out an imagined deep state cabal of pedophile Satanists who are trying to take down President Trump. QAnon, a conspiracy theory that has attracted a fervent following since it emerged from the troll-infested fringes of the internet nearly three years ago, has already inspired real-world violence, including the killing of a mob boss. <laughs> its, support- oh its supporters are slowly becoming a political force that some Republicans feel they cannot afford to alienate. Even as the- <laughs> Even as the party struggles to distance itself from racist and anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. <laughs> man, I, I hope there's a day on the left where we're like, God damn, man. Well, listen, we can't afford to alienate the Posadists. <laughs> They're too strong of a voting block. Um, no, man. Uh, she said, the Republican, sta- uh, the Republican establishment was against me. The D.C. swamp is against me, and the long fake news media hates my guts. It's a badge of honor. It's not about me winning. This is a referendum on every single one of us on our beliefs. Oh, man. So, um, so yeah, uh, we've got a QAnon person in Congress now. Uh, it's going to get interesting. Finally. Right? Finally, I mean it. It is in a way, though, man. If we could, if we could get a critical mass of QAnoners versus a critical mass of squatters, <laughs> it would be. It would make congressional softball a lot more fun. <laughs> because nothing's getting done, anyways. Like we're never getting no. health care or anything like that. We might as well get some theater out of this. At least get the yeah. At least get some theater because like the current theater sucks ass. You know. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Honestly, if the Democratic Party wanted to beat Mitch, if it was truly invested in beating Mitch McConnell at all costs, then they should have just run a QAnon person as a Democrat. I, I yeah. swear to God, that person would probably beat Mitch McConnell. Yeah. No, I mean, it is. What is it? There's like. What do you think it is about like all these sort of like batshit crazy things that are getting purchased now like that like they're like like that somebody looks at the ballot and says this guy's a neurosurgeon that's a little too uppity for me but this QAnon <laughs> man you think it's just like like a facebook class thing i think so i mean i think it's anti-establishment obviously but i think even more than that there's a sort of like deep hole in the center of this country's identity so for example and I've said this before, and I'm, you know, a lot of people have said this before, but if you are an average American, <clears throat> an average middle class, uh, pays his taxes, nuclear family American, and you try to raise your kids by a set of values and virtues, um, follow the rules, um, do what your leaders tell you to do, um, work hard, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. then something happens, like a schism happens in your brain. Some sort of like psychic uh, collapse of some kind happens. When you see the past 20 years of American history in which we've launched two major wars, the banks completely tanked the economy, you have to then 
come up with something in your mind for rationalizing why the world does not function the way that you've brought your kids up to believe. So, like I said, if you were a person who told, who raised your kids to be virtue, um, <clears throat> you know, virtuous and have these values, and then when the world reflected back to you shows a world that, like, is not held to any virtues or values at all, there's no accountability yeah. for anybody's bad actions. Well, here's the why, son. It's the <laughs> Rothschilds, the Masons, and the Jews. It's exactly right. It's exactly what it is. Now, in the past 50 or 60 years ago, America was still going towards a uh, apogee of sort of of greatness, you know, like an apex, a sort of moment of uh, world historical greatness. Right. Well, now we don't have our enemies, the communists, anymore, right? Right. Um, we, that, like I was, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. No about, cash, no hope, no jobs. No cash, no hope, no jobs. I was talking about this the other day with somebody about like China. Because China is very fascinating. China is our enemy, according to, you know, the people in power. According to both Trump and Biden, because Biden is a huge China hawk. China is our enemy, but they don't represent an existential civilizational threat in the same way that communism in the Soviet Union did, and then, after that, political Islam did. Now, the civilizational existential threat is internal. It's refugees pouring over the border and it's antifa you know what i'm saying right like china is just i mean they keep trying to put it in these terms but i just don't obviously like it's racist like they put it in these racist terms but they they kind of fail to put it into this like sort of civilization this battle of civilizations thing they'll just chalk it up to like it's the china virus and all this but, right, they've not. It's it's not. It doesn't have the same sort of cultural cachet that us versus the Reds did. It's exactly right, and so like once you started identifying internal enemies as the sort of existential threat, well, you know, there's then there can never be a sort of shared understanding of what we are. You know what I'm saying? Like, do you think because, that has to do with? Let me ask you a question. Do you think that has to do with this that idea that like? We still have every every American has proximity to China every day because everything we use here is made in China, right? Right. Whereas, like the Soviets were, could be more easily othered because they were looked off as this like sort of blocked off hermit kingdom where like just everybody worked in a you know a goddamn coke plant. <laughs> yeah, our economies weren't intertwined. I mean, right. our not eco- at all. Our economies deeply intertwined with China's. Right. Um, you know, they sell all their shit to us. We sell them our. We you give know, them West bonds. Virginia. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we give them the state of West Virginia. Um, no, I mean, like, yeah, we're deeply intertwined, and and so I think that that's maybe why they don't go that next step and say that it is an existential civilizational threat and just keep it at the level of just the most racist, um, you know, inflammatory remarks. Right. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is that, like, when you have like an external enemy, if they were actually successful in painting China in that way, then I think that it would be um, a little easier to have like a national identity to draw from. There's no national right. identity anymore, right? No. I mean, I, I, no, we have no, we have no interesting heavyweights. <laughs> 
<laughs> we have no interesting fake heavyweights that can be portrayed in movies. Right. The everything. I mean, I think the 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 hallmark of our dying society is everything is pastiche. Like, I mean, I, I joke about the boxing thing, but like the the most anticipated fight of, of the century is a guy Mike Tyson that retired twenty years ago, and Roy Jones Jr. who retired several years ago too. And it's like it, we just can't. There's no innovation now. There's nothing nothing new we're adding to anything. We're just like everything we wear is just derivative of something from another time everything we watch is just a reboot of something that's already existed you know furthermore the opportunities to actually reform this is where i think the sort of like decline really comes through is that the opportunities to reform it lack all political imagination and more importantly no one is willing to take risks i'm yeah. referring specifically to bernie like you and I've said it before, but there needed to be a point where we, where you know, the left says we are different from the Democratic Party, <clears throat> as a sort of existential statement, a defining yeah. statement. There is no like it. Everybody is just so afraid to create that schism within the Democratic Party that no one can take political risks anymore. And which is which is like. In my mind, like the most cowardly thing, because that motherfucker is ripe to just like fall apart. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like a concerted, like I, I, I mean, like our theory of change is only wrong because we either because the people that we have charged to sort of take over the Democratic Party, Bernie, ALC, whoever, either one of two things is going on: either they lack imagination or they're cowards. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, like I, the thing that you got, you got this thing's like standing up on three legs all you gotta do is lean on it a little bit <laughs> well this is the thing like because you see it so for example a lot of people were pissed at bernie congratulating kamala harris um and it's like yeah now it makes total sense i mean a lot of these politicians whether it's rashida Tlaib or bernie they're all completely outnumbered and they 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 don't have any other choice but to basically kiss the ring but that's not to say that right. like five months ago or three or four months ago or whatever, that that was necessarily the case. Um, I think there was room to take some risks and to sort of articulate a, a sort of analysis that was separate from the Democrats. Um, now, I don't know whether it would have worked or not. It's entirely probable that it, you know, wouldn't have. I have no idea. Wouldn't have, yeah. But I don't know. I just find it very interesting that um, there's just not a lot of willingness to take those kind of risks. And, um, and that, to me, just goes to show you that everybody is so completely cowed. They're so fearful of what would happen if those risks were taken that uh, there's no way to sort of steer this off of the course that it's on. Um, All right. So I don't know. I mean, what were we going to say? Well, I mean, I was just going to say it. I mean, and granted, I mean, Brother Gnome looks like he spent several years asleep in the woods. But uh, did you see his his comments about, like, our duty to vote and then get back to work? <laughs> what did he say? That, I mean, what was so disappointing about that it to me is, like, that exactly mirrors, like, what centrist politicians tell us to do. Right. 
get out there and protest. And then, like, go vote, do what you got to do, and then get back out there and start working. You know? I mean, <clears throat> voting is pretty, like, low demand, low maintenance. It's whatever, you know? What, yeah. what the left really needs is someone to sort Finally! Of, finally! <laughs> You need some way to synthesize these two facts. Internationally, the global south makes the world's commodities, and nationally, inside the U.S., the economy is 70% service economy. You need to somehow synthesize those two facts and articulate a a political platform, a political vision out of it. Um, Because it needs to be both internationalist and related to this country but it's uh just been um i don't know it's not i don't know i don't even fucking know what i'm talking about man <laughs> man uh, mike davis did you read that mike davis piece when sort of the covid 19 thing kicked off yeah it's about like you know how like about the sort of workers in the global south yeah i think people should revisit that and, and also ask mike why he once had a poisonous amphibian that he would just like let out in his office when people would come over. It was that's kind of wild. What was it? I don't know, man. He just had like a sack of lizards and toads <laughs> that that he just like let go in his office sometimes. Every old socialist should have a sack of lizards and toads. You just carry around with you and release into a, a room full of people. <clears throat> I, don't I don't know about all that, but yeah. Um. Well, anyways, that's that's been this week's edition of uh, what the left really needs with your two favorite cranks. Um, let's move on to something. I may put you on the spot here, and I'm sure you don't have it ready. But you I'm had ready. a you had a segment for this week, a devil's milkshake. But I believe it was um a little bit different than normal. I believe it was a devil's milkshake by proxy. Well, let me ask you a question. You familiar with? I mean, a lot of people are, I'm sure, but you familiar with Munchausen's by proxy? Oh yeah. You know where the parent like basically makes the kid believe they have some sort of like incurable illness and whatever, whatever. Oh just yeah. To, like yeah. I saw the so, HBO show Sharp Objects. Did you see the act on Hulu? No. As another one. So anyway. <clears throat> We have a, uh, an innovation in the Devil's Milkshake this week with the revelation that Vladimir Putin allowed his daughter to take place in the Sputnik Five COVID-19 trials, <laughs> to which he said that she had a brief spike in her fever, and that was the only negative side effect. So, giving birth to a new th- concept called Devil's Milkshake by proxy. Okay. Now, so this gets back to a debate we had, I guess it was last week, over how exactly anything related to COVID could be a devil's milkshake. Yeah. Now, I think that this... Okay, let me just, for those keeping score at home, (laughs) you vetoed the idea that Herman Cain met his end by a devil's milkshake. I did, yes. I did. Okay. And the reason why is because I think for it to be a devil's milkshake, it has to, like I said, it has to forego or foreclose on any kind of grievance or, or um, 
reparation for for an injustice. Does that make sense? So yeah. a person was harmed. They claimed that X substance harmed them. Mm-hmm. The politician, as a way to not do anything about X substance, ingests X substance, and that gets the person who was harmed to, sh- to shut the fuck up. You know what I'm saying? When, when, when in reality, the devil of the devil's milkshake is in the dosage. So Barack Obama taking a sip of, like, Flint water is not tantamount to having to bathe and cook and drink that shit for many, many, many years. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. <laughs> but the wonderful thing about the devil's milkshake is that it could possibly backfire. You never know. Like, for example, Shinzo Abe... I think it was Shinzo Abe eating the radioactive vegetables in the Fukushima fallout zone. I mean, what happened to Abe to get cancer? No, nothing happened, but you never know. <laughs> you never know. It's I mean the the not young. That's why it's devil's milkshake. It's a bargain. You don't know what exactly you're getting. But I think this Man, falls play in, with the devil. I think this falls into it because it's a vaccine and it's experimental. Correct? Right. Right. So, so let me ask you a question. So, what do you think is behind Putin's sort of clamoring to be the first here? Going so far as to call it Sputnik Five. <laughs> Has Russian innovation just, uh, you know, not what it used to be to the point where he's like willing to cut all these like safety measures out, or is that really just bureaucratic red tape that we have to go through for our vaccines? I think that. Russia is an incredibly um, ambitious global power. I mean, Putin is incredibly ambitious. Like, part of the reason why the oil prices collapsed below zero is because Russia refused to cut oil production earlier this year. That's how hubristic they are. (laughs) Like, hubristic and greedy, but ultimately it was stupid because if you don't allow some sort of cut in production, prices are going to go down then you're not going to be able to sell your products. But again, that's sort of how hubristic and ambitious they are. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the reason... They called it the Sputnik 5, for Christ's sake. <laughs> <laughs> like that just goes to show you that they're trying to... They've kind of got their own MAGA thing going on. Um, I, hope, I hope it works and like it's proven to be safe and we all take it, but all the liberals don't. Just out of principle, because they don't want to stand with Moscow or like you know the the Cheeto sucker. You know they, they liberals liberals love caricatures of Putin performing oral sex on Trump or Trump performing oral sex on Putin. They love that shit. That would be pretty goddamn funny. Um, yeah. Us and no, because here's the here's the thing: the QAnon people aren't going to take any vaccine. And the libs, no, they're anti-vaxxers. The libs also aren't going to take a vaccine if it comes from Putin and Trump. Um, the left's best chance is to all of us get inoculated before everybody else, and then we'll have unreasonable power. Right. That does just go to show you how the the bonds between the libs and the QAnon people are are much more uh, alike than they were ready to yeah. admit. <laughs> exactly. Nah. But so anyways... Yeah. <clears throat> Putin did what with his daughter again? So he allowed her to take place in the trials, and she got the jab, as the Brits say, 
and Putin said that she's doing incredible and that it that the only thing that happened is her fever spiked briefly, but now she's fine. Oh, I see. I see. Ah, I, I got some questions about this. All right, what do you got? Well, I mean, for starters, you really gonna let your daughter go get pumped full of something that's probably got like lead and horse cum in it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Before. Well, that's before, why you it's know, by proxy. Yeah. And and if so, why didn't you just jump out there and do it? <laughs> it's you know so weird. Why did why did he say? Me and my daughter took it, but no, it's just his daughter. <laughs> well, the interesting thing about Putin is he's kind of an innovator when it comes to this new style of what you would call sort of authoritarian management. Like, yeah. I, in many ways, at least this is the thesis of like Adam Kurt, people like Adam Curtis. Putin's yeah. the kind of progenitor of the idea uh, that... Um, Societies don't really need political leaders anymore. They just need managers. They need people who can just sort of um, uh, progress their global ambitions at the sort of geopolitical level. And, you know, obviously Putin's doing that. But at at the domestic level, just sort of like, yeah, manage people through uh, algorithms, uh, through social media these other forms of sort of like coercion um so i think that what we're seeing here is that the devil's milkshake is an older form of political theater um i think it reigned supreme i don't know when the earliest example of the devil's milkshake is i know i can't if we if we ever bring back profiles and courage we need to find the earliest example we can the devil's milkshake and make that person the profile and courage i wholeheartedly agree but um, Putin may be doing something. This is also not because, like, look now. Actually, now that I think about it, like you know how kings used to have like taste testers, like to test if there was yeah. poison in their food. <laughs> yes, that was kind of a devil's milkshake. Now they're doing the same thing, but now it's like with their loved ones, with their family members. They're like, look, if my daughter can do it. Then it's totally fine for anyone. It's probably like one of those things where like nobody knew that Putin had a daughter anyway. So even if she dies, if she dies, she dies. Right, right. <laughs> like some Yvonne drug. <laughs> right. Um, Putin probably doesn't actually even have a daughter. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. Um. Well, look, um, we're at an hour, but there's one more thing I wanted to cover before we go. Okay. Okay. Um, this comes to us by way of the New York Times. Um, it is an opinion piece. Um, one by an author we've never covered on the show, I don't think. Um, but who I know is a favorite of yours and mine. I'm speaking, of course, about Roth Duthat. Roth Duthat, I'm sorry. (laughs) Roth 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 Duthat. Roth Duthat. What to do when COVID doesn't go away? Lessons for coronavirus long haulers from my own experience with chronic illness. Oh boy, is is Ross is Ross is he he is, he is a chronic Lyme guy? He is a chronic Lyme guy. Amazing. 
Amazing. <laughs> I picked this because it dovetails with so many Trillbilly's interests. Give this to me, please. Yes. I need this. Um, <clears throat> finding out that Ross Duthat is a chronic Lyme guy is one of the best things that happened to me this week. Um, among the many things that nobody knows about the disease that has overturned our lives is how long its effects last. I don't just mean the possibility of coronavirus damage lurking invisibly in the heart or lungs or brain. I mean the simpler question of what it takes and how long for some uncertain percentage of the sick to actually feel better. Um, and then he goes on to say that... Uh, he goes on to talk about, in The Atlantic, Ed Yong wrote this piece about COVID long haulers. That's mm-hmm. Yong's terminology. Um, people whose sickness don't go away in just a month, but they have persistent coughs. Um, they have that classic chronic symptom, brain fog, internal mm-hmm. organ pain, bowel problems, tremors, relapsing fevers, more. I just want to say that I have all of these. I have brain fog. <laughs> I have all these. I mean, you don't need any advanced degrees. See, I suffer from brain fog during these sometimes. <laughs> right. Here's my thing on this. Here's here's where I want to point out the distinction. I think this would be the, uh, you know, again, I'm a, I'm, a, you know, a humble hypochondriac, not a medical professional, but Lyme disease is caused by a bacteria. Right. Whereas coronavirus is caused by a virus and that's where a guy of letters from harvard should know there's some differences here buddy just wait until you hear what he has to say about them well i mean but you know what i'm saying like a rudimentary like (laughs) like any idiot that has like just a working knowledge of how immunology works or not even immunology but virology and like infectious disease knows that viruses stay in your system for good Right. Suppressed, you know, oftentimes with medicines or just by your immune response or whatever. Whereas bacterial infections, typically, if you get through the initial period, your immune system takes them out fairly quickly. Right. No, that doesn't matter to Ross. Ross also, it should be noted, I don't even know if Ross believes in germ theory. Uh, He is pretty trad, you know. So he probably thinks that, like... Humors and pungent smells still cause illness, if I had to yeah. guess. Right. Um, he says, I, was, I am a long hauler. My whole family was sick in March with COVID-like symptoms, <clears throat> and, though that, and though the one test we obtained was negative, I'm, pr- <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure... I just know it was COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure we had the thing itself, and my own symptoms took months rather than weeks to disappear. But unlike many of the afflicted, I didn't have the experience particularly... I didn't find the experience particularly shocking because I have a prior long-haul experience of my own. In the spring of 2015, I was bitten by a deer tick. And the effects of the subsequent illness, a combination of Lyme disease and a more obscure tick-borne infection, Bartonella, have been with me ever since. Lyme disease in its chronic form, or her official medical parlance, post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome, is a fiendish, fiendishly complicated and controversial subject, and what I learned from, my, from the experience would, and will at some point, fill a book. So watch for, the, watch for that drop, watch that hot fire drop, uh, s- summer 2000. that's book on chronic Lyme. <laughs> yes. I hope it's like in the style of a self-help thing. 
It will be. I'm sure. It's like how you could how you can beat chronic Lyme by switching to a like a dairy only diet. Well, he then switches it might be because what he does now is he switches to explaining how you can beat the long term symptoms of COVID through his own experiences with chronic Lyme. Oh boy. He says there are a few lessons that are worth worth passing along to anyone whose encounter with the pandemic of 2020 has left them feeling permanently transformed for the worse. The first is impatience is your friend. With most illnesses, get some rest and drink fluids and you'll probably feel better is excellent advice, which is why doctors offer it so consistently. But if you don't feel better after a reasonable duration, then you shouldn't just try to endure stoically while hoping that maybe you're making microscopic progress. I lost months to my own illness taking that approach. If you feel like you need something else to get better, some outside intervention, something more than just your own beleaguered body's resources, be impatient and find a way to go in search of it. So we've established the hallmark of uh, chronic Lyme, right? Uh, you are your own doctor. Which, again, I mean, I think we discussed this on this recent episode we were talking about. Like, I totally understand wanting to be your own doctor. Because doctors can be terrifying. Many of them are psychopaths. <laughs> A lot of them, because they sometimes hold life and death in their hands, confuse themselves <laughs> for deities. That's true. <laughs> right. Um, but... Advice number two. If your doctor struggles to help you, you'll need to help yourself. Now... That would be reasonable advice if it was for chronic Lyme, right? Right. But for COVID, I'm not sure <laughs> that you should be helping yourself. I mean, essentially what he's saying, and I'll just read this part. Me- modern medicine works. I don't think you should go take the waters at Our Lady of Guadalupe <laughs> if you actually have active symptoms. <laughs> Tom... Don't you understand? You should be trying Reiki, Reiki energy if you've got COVID-like symptoms. Modern Man, medicine... This... Do what? No, go ahead. Modern medicine works marvels, but it's built to treat acute conditions and well-known diseases. A completely novel virus that seems to hang around for months is neither. Add in all the other burdens on the medical system at the moment and the understandable focus on the most life-threatening COVID cases... And it may be extremely difficult to find a doctor who can guide and support a labyrinthine recovery process. So to some uncertain extent, you may need to become your own doctor. Or if you're too sick for that, to find someone who can help you on your journey, notwithstanding the absence of an MD beside their name. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You should get into homeopathy. So what's what's it going for here? Um... He says, trust your own experience of your body. Um, Experiment, experiment, experiment. This is what he says. There is no treatment yet for long-haul COVID that meets the standard of a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial, which means that the FDA-stamped medical consensus can't be your only guide if you're trying to break a systemic, debilitating curse. The realm beyond that consensus has, yes, plenty of quacks, perils, and overpriced placebos, but it also includes treatments that may help you. Starting with basic herbs and vitamins and expanding into things that, well, let's just say I wouldn't have ever imagined myself trying before I became ill myself. Um, He says, the internet is your friend. Um, 
you need to research on the internet. Ask God to help you and keep asking when he doesn't seem to answer. He says, I mean this very seriously. <laughs> um, and then he says, you can get better. I said earlier that my own illness is still with me five years later, but not in anything like the same way. I was wrecked, destroyed, despairing. Now I'm better, substantially better. And I believe that with enough time and experimentation, I will actually be well. The thing, the thing about all that... Okay, okay. But, <laughs> before you go there, Terrence, I just want to point something out. Ross Duthat does not even know if, for a fact, he had COVID. <laughs> Listen... I am a hypochondriac, so I have made up in my head that I have suffered from many afflictions. And I am also aware of the brain-body connection that, that will sometimes let you think that if you dwell on it too hard. But guess what? I've never had a medical doctor tell me that I've had a lot of the things that I'm afraid that I've had. Right, right. Like, this is, this is, this is honestly the ramblings of a sick man, but not sick in the way he thinks he is. <laughs> I mean, essentially what it amounts to... I mean, the thing about chronic Lyme and... Or I don't know. There's all kinds of conclusions you can draw from this. Terrence, let me ask you a question. What? What if you wrote... What if you were a nationally... Like, a national columnist at a big paper, okay? And you had never been diagnosed with, say, HIV. <laughs> and yet you write an article that's, that's called... <laughs> My long journey with HIV. <laughs> what he, you're right. What he's essentially saying is that because I have chronic Lyme, I can empathize with people having COVID, even though I've never had COVID, and even though chronic Lyme might not even be real. <laughs> right. There's a lot of ifs here. There's a lot of but-fors here. <laughs> you're right. You're absolutely right. Oh my he god. He is such a weird man, dude. He is a weird ass. I mean, um I mean I kinda like Ross uh you know, in the sense that like he's he's not like banal like Brett Stevens is, you know? Like yeah. uh he's got a truly <laughs> idiosyncratic ideology. Tra- traditional right. Catholicism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um but uh, but you're you're right. Is essentially it would be akin to somebody saying, "Look, if you're still experiencing HIV symptoms long after the original symptoms went away, which basically you'd be talking about AIDS, just don't worry about it. Like the internet is your friend. Experiment all you want. You're your own doctor. Don't listen to what the doctors say. I mean, I don't know what you invariably run into with all these things is like yeah the medical system is so flawed and fucked up and terrifying that it is scary to not really have a trusted medical doctor to go to Um, but I think that all these things are again they're just symptoms of a larger sort of systemic failure (laughs) uh, and furthermore it's very very fucking funny to me that the New York Times has a columnist who is a chronic Lyme guy dude (laughs) I mean like consider what the right has there's a very specific pathology there you've got QAnoners you've got chronic Lymers I don't know man the chronic Lyme thing is weird because it can be both right wing anti-vaxxers but it can also be like bougie 
upper middle class, upper class Instagram influencers. Influencers, right? Like, um, I think the chronic Lyme things. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I, we we wanted to talk about it one time, but I can't remember if we actually did. My brain is so. I think atrophied. we walked on eggshells because we were afraid Tanya might be a chronic Lymer. <laughs> No, I always, I, I always walk on eggshells on these topics because I know somewhere amongst our listenership is a chronic Lyme person. I remember what it was now. It was that horrible failed episode about the comet Neowise, and uh, we tried uh, the it one once. Should have been great. The one, the one that should, got away. Yeah, I, I think that was it, but I don't know, dude. <laughs> well, well, anyway. In any case, in any case, speaking of ones that got away. Um, Sorry, you had to listen to to two men who are in the throes of their own mad, uh, you know, uh, lost grips on reality. Um, but I hope it was at least somewhat entertaining. Um, anything else to say, Tommy? Man, I just want to apologize to the Biden campaign for making comments that were deemed um uh, wreckerish wrecker have you heard this term wrecker oh yes oh yes yeah i've been accused of being a wrecker uh uh some people that are they're supporting joe and kamala i just want to apologize to those people and, and say yes i will vote for the ticket and i apologize for anything deemed inappropriate by the batters <laughs> over there team joe you're forgiven. Um, okay. Uh, go out and don't be a wrecker and decolonize your spaces, folks. That's another word I've been hearing a lot. I don't know what the fuck. Decolonize your spaces. Decolonize uh, your spaces. Don't peddle right-wing talking points about Joe Biden being a brain-addled <laughs> I saw someone accuse us of peddling right-wing talking points. It's just like, <laughs> dude, that is a fascinating thing. <clears throat> We were saying that Joe Biden was losing his marbles before the right wing took that up. That is not a right wing talking point. They took it from us. <laughs> yeah. You know how like we got like a handful of McConnell staffers that listen to our show just because we like trash McGrath yeah. you know, or whatever? Yeah. I wonder if like they're like, what if secretly on the low that True Billy Workers Party is how the right's taking their pulse and that's where they're getting all their talking points from? Could be, ma'am. Think be. about it though. You got a couple of guys that are working for the top guy over there. Could be. You never know. Yeah, we could be crypto neocons, and I even know it. Which McConnell's not a neocon, but you know what I mean. Crypto neocons. Well, anyways, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, don't peddle right wing talking points. Don't be a wrecker. Uh, don't let your daughter take Sputnik Five unless you two are yeah. taken. Definitely spend all your time fighting internet battles over Instagram accounts um, and canceling everybody on the internet. Because what else you got to do? Well, what else you doing? What else you doing, baby? These are the dog days. That's right. Um, and definitely go subscribe to us on Patreon. Uh, <clears throat> Tanya will be back on Sunday. Maybe my voice will be back. I don't know if you've noticed, but my voice is like... I'm losing my voice. I think you should take this opportunity to, avoid a, to uh, record a sexy voicemail message. 
Yeah? You think it's good this way? Yeah. Interesting. Which <laughs> Terrence right five seven five. <laughs> <laughs> not say anything else. Um well maybe go to the Patreon, you'll find that there. Uh Patreon P A T R E O N dot com slash Trillbilly Workers Party. Please go like and subscribe. We do quite literally have better content on Patreon. Um quite literally that is our reputation you know i i don't know if that's the case but it's kind of like telling everybody that your reputation is that you're good and bad even though you don't know if that's true or not no no evidence to support that claim in fact much to refute it right (laughs) exactly um so anyways go to the patreon and uh have a great week everybody thanks for tuning in we'll see you next time yeah Peace out.